Hello, and welcome to the RSM Podcast, a ministry of Rock Solid Ministries. I'm your host today, Greg Strickland, evangelist with Rock Solid Ministries. You can find more about our work at our website, www.rocksolidministries.org. Maybe I should say I'm a special host today because usually Brother Tom Weaver, our director and evangelist, is on the RSM podcast hosting Frontline Servants or maybe bringing us a, a sermon from the annals of the sets of tapes that we have on hand from Brother Fred Huckleberry. But today I want to bring you uh, the first of a very special three-part series. Many of you know that in the last few weeks, our family has been touched by some deep, deep grief uh, with the loss of our grandson. And in that, it got me to thinking about a three-part radio series that I did on our local radio station back in 2012. It was a series uh, that followed a series of messages over the radio on the book of Job and the things that Job went through and the grief that he endured. And, but in these, in these three uh, interviews with a couple of my friends, we kind of put hands and feet to how to deal with grief. And maybe even most importantly, how we as Christians can help other people get through or at least comfort them during these times of grief. You'll gain a lot of insight into people's grief and how they grieve and what they feel. And hopefully you'll gain a lot of insight into things to do and things not to do, things to say and things not to say to people who are hurting and grieving. So without any further ado, let me introduce you to Nate and Maria Clevenger in the first of our three-part series on grief. My guests in the studio this morning are uh, Nate and Maria Clevenger. How are you guys doing? Fine. And uh, Nate is a, a coach and a, a math teacher at Girard uh, High School in Girard, Kansas, Girard Junior High School. And uh, Maria teaches as well and is a, a mom of uh, four kids. And we'll, we'll talk about how that goes later on. But uh, they have a really unique story to tell, I think, that... Um, Probably, I think a lot of people can relate to. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have been through their kind of situation before. And, and even if it's not the exact situation, just suffering and how you deal with suffering and, and the ways that it changes your life, I think, are important. So I asked them to be here to share their story today and, and uh, to share some things maybe that they've learned from uh, what they've been through. And uh, I think it'll be really important to you. So tell us about, uh, it's a huge story. <laughs> but just give us some background and tell, get us into this story and then, then tell us what happened in your life. Okay. Um, I guess we could start with, uh, how I met was definitely a God thing. Um, I was in college and Nate had started his first year of teaching. We met, we got married, everything was wonderful. Then we decided we wanted to have kids and that did not happen. Um, we had tried for years and ended up being referred to a fertility clinic and went to the fertility clinic, tried some treatments, 
and nothing worked. They said, you know, barring some pretty extensive treatment, you will probably never have biological children. Uh, that was very, very tough to deal with um, since I had wanted to be a mother my entire life, as most girls do. Um, so we decided to stop treatment and uh, to look into adoption. And as we were looking into adoption, we found out that we were pregnant with our first son, Brett. And that was a very wonderful surprise uh, and the beginning of our roller coaster. Uh, second child, we decided we wanted to get pregnant and it took a while. Uh, but we finally figured it out sooner than later, got on the right medication and, uh, Chaz was born two and a half years later. Awesome. And, uh, seems like, uh, everything's going your way, right, Nate? Yeah, and- I'd say so. Both, uh, the boys were two and a half years apart and, uh, that was, a similar to my brother and I, and, and I just knew that that was a good age difference that they would be able to be able to compete together in, in sports and stuff. And yet be able to be close enough in age to relate to each other in their each situation. So yeah, the, that was very cool. I was real excited about that. Yeah. So, I mean, life, life is, you know, I mean, we all go through little bumps in the road, but life's like a dream, right? I right. Mean, we were building a house. Yeah. We had started building the house that we'd planned for years. And by this time we'd been married, five and a half, almost six years mm-hmm. by then. Yeah. So, you know, it, we weren't totally newlyweds at the time. <laughs> seven years. So, what, seven years? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. and, and you guys both grew up in the church mm-hmm. and, and uh, had, you know, followed Christ all your life and right. uh, very involved in the church at that point. And then, uh, now Chaz's birth wasn't without complications. So what happened there? Uh, his collarbone uh, was broken during delivery. Um, that just happens sometimes. They weren't terribly concerned about it. Uh, the unfortunate part was we didn't discover it until he was two weeks old. The doctor um, was checking him out and said, oh, I think his collarbone's broken. You need to, we need to take him to see a specialist because it was probably going to have to be rebroken the way it had healed together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was a, it was a Thursday afternoon. Uh, we were taking care of things, getting ready. We had Brett shipped off to grandma's house and we were headed to Kansas city to children's mercy to, to see a specialist. Our appointment was a very early Friday morning. So we were going up the night before to stay with family so that we wouldn't have to make that drive, uh, the morning of. Yeah. So you're on your way and, and you decide that you're going to stop off at the, the, the home site, right? Mm-hmm. We had some things we needed built. to check out. Yeah. Yeah. And so what happens? You're, you're sitting there, at the at this light at an intersection, light changes. You make the turn. We're actually uh, at that point where the third um, vehicle in the turn lane to turn left, and the light turns green uh, with a green arrow for us. And and so the first car goes through, second car goes through, and I'm just following along. And as that uh, the car right in front of me clears, I look up and I notice I don't know how far down the road, about 200, 300 yards down the road, this truck was just barreling down and he wasn't stopping and at that point I thought well I've got enough time if I get after it so I I punched it to try to get through and as I punch it I look back and he comes in our uh, driver's side or passenger side uh, door on the back right where Chaz was sitting Mm -hmm. and uh, so it spun us pretty good and uh, at that point things just stopped it was Mm -hmm. just it was an eerie kind of feel about it um, and I thought, my goodness, what's just happened? Um, so I get, uh, 
I get myself together real quick, and I, I look back there. I, I run out. I get out my door, and I reach in through the glass that had been broken, and I, I pull his car seat out, and Chaz isn't breathing at that point. We need to mention at this time, Chaz is three weeks old. Mm-hmm. He is not very big. We had had yeah. to wait. Um, but we had just taken him to the doctor the end of the week before. So, um, you know, three-week-old babies, very, very small, very fragile. Mm-hmm. And that truck went right into the door, and it literally moved his seat that he was uh, in the car seat that he was in, it slid it over um, with the impact. And so anyway, I got him out and I, I ran him over to the other side of the van where it was shady and, and he wasn't breathing and I'm panicking. I've had CPR stuff and, but I, I had no idea. I just, I was froze on it. And fortunately a couple of ladies were there. There was a lot of traffic at the time. And so everything just stopped and people were came out and, they kind of slapped him around on the face a little bit to just there was try a nurse to, there. yeah, to to wake him up and and fortunately he started breathing mm-hmm. and we were what we're about two miles from the ambulance um, station so they hurried down and told us they were going to have to fly him to Kansas City and when they did their evaluation real quick they just because they knew we didn't know at the time well, that it was something that needed to be I, done but go ahead. I got out of the vehicle, um, had to climb through the back because my door was um, jammed shut. And I remember hearing the officer say, impact is three feet into the vehicle. Mm. And if you could see our van from above, it was the shape of a rainbow. I mean, Mm. this guy hit us going way, way, way too fast. And there were, I think, over 10 witnesses that saw this happen. I mean, this was a busy intersection. This was Mm -hmm. not, you know, we live out in the middle of nowhere, but this was not out in the middle of nowhere. And, um... I couldn't breathe because it had hit me on the, you know, I was right there with it. Um, And so they were trying to evaluate me and I could see a small cut on Chaz's head and a small one on his nose, but didn't really think anything of it. Um, And, but when they took him away in the car seat and Nate and I were still there at the accident, I knew it couldn't have been good. Mm. Um, And I knew that my injuries probably were not life threatening but they took me away in an ambulance too. And of course, not knowing what's happening with your child while you're riding in an ambulance and your mm-hmm. husband is still at the accident scene um, is a bit interesting. On top of the fact that before I could even get out of the van, the man who'd hit us was casually leaning against his truck, smoking a cigarette, not wow. caring at all what had mm-hmm. just happened. And we weren't sure why. We later found out why, but um, he was not drunk. Wow. And that uh, that's, you know, as we get down the road, that's going to add to the pain of the story i'm sure so uh they get Chaz to the hospital what happens when you get to the hospital what they said um well they came to me and i guess they had us in bays right next to each other but there was so much commotion and chaos and i was in such shock i don't remember much of what happened um other than them coming to me and saying he cried did you hear him cry that's a good thing he cried and i Mm -hmm. was like okay not knowing what was going on um but he was struggling to breathe, so they had to intubate him. Um, and they had, because of weather, they could not fly him via helicopter to Children's Mercy. So we had to wait for a winged aircraft, which took longer. Um, accident happened at 6.16, and gosh, you guys didn't leave until 9 that yeah. night. I mean, it was a long was well time, mm-hmm. long time. Of course, once they got there, he wasn't intubated correctly um, because of the swelling and because of the issues. So they had to re-intubate him, and that took a while, and... And it was just, it, it was chaos. Wow. I still was pretty naive to the whole situation. I mean, I'm 
Uh, well, they told us they thought he would be okay. They said, we did a CT. He has a small brain bleed, but we think he's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But that was without knowing the story. They didn't know the condition of the van. They didn't know that this guy had come out of nowhere and how fast he was going. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking, by the time I saw him in the two or 300 yards away and the time he hit us, I barely had time to brace myself physically before he hit us. It was that fast. Mm-hmm. I was just, I had a, a metal bracelet um, it was strung with metal and I, it completely shattered that wow. we had a, a paper McDonald's cup sitting in the cup holder and it split down the side, not on the seam. Wow. I mean, it's just amazing. Incredible force. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, at this time you're thinking, well, this is really terrible, but it sounds like there, there's, you know, a lot of hope there. Right. When, when did things take a turn for the worse? For uh, me, I, fortunately, because they had to have a, an airplane come down, um, I was able to ride on the airplane with Chaz to Kansas City. So they flew us into Kansas City and got us to Children's Mercy. And they said when we got in that there'd be a lot of chaos and they would take me to a separate room and, and then come have a an individual talk with me and about what was going on. So they did that. They took me in. Waited around a little bit, and they, they finally said, okay, we're ready to talk to you. We'll have a neurosurgeon, I believe it was at that point. He'll come into this room. So I, my, by that point, my mother-in-law was, um, Maria's mom was there at the hospital, so she, I asked her to go in the room with me. When I walk in the room, um, actually, I had sat down in the room. When the door opened, they, um, one of my old students um, walked in the room, and she happened to be, what was her title? She was doing a, she was doing a residency. Residency. It? Um, with this doctor that was going to be talking with me. And so I, that was calming to me because I mm-hmm. still wasn't sure what was going on exactly and how bad this was going to be. But to see Megan just was, that's that's where those, we talked a lot about when we wrote a journal about a blessings. And that's one of the blessings for me was someone was there that mm-hmm. I had taught and, and had had in track. And that was just, that was really important. Anyway, the doctor comes in and starts explaining just how bad this is. And at at that point, I, I still thought, well, you know, good things can happen. I mean, God can make this work. But it was also then where the reality, I think, struck that this isn't good at all, mm-hmm. um, just based on the things that he was telling me. And, and we were just going to have to wait. Um, there just wasn't anything they could do right then. They were going to have to see how Chaz's body reacted to stuff and Mind so you, this tough. whole time, I'm still at the hospital in Pittsburgh, mm. two and a half hours away, not knowing anything. I knew nothing. Um, they couldn't tell me anything. You know, he was still talking to the doctors. My family, not I mean, we live 286 miles from my family, so they obviously met us halfway at Children's Mercy, but I wasn't there, so I had no family. Nate's family was mm-hmm. there, and his brother thankfully drove me up to Kansas City, uh, but I mean, being in the dark when you're a mom of a three-week-old who's just been in a severe accident is not not mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. Yeah. And so um, eventually, uh, skipping over quite a bit, the the worst thing happens. Chaz, mm-hmm. Chaz dies. How does how do you, how did your faith at that point? How was it challenged? The challenge started in the hospital. It was a roller coaster of he's going to be okay. He's not going to be okay. We don't know. 
Um, and, and there were things that happened where we were like, okay, he wasn't really showing improvement, but it wasn't getting bad or getting worse, but we just kept praying for a miracle mm-hmm. and, um, obviously got a miracle, just not the one that we wanted. Uh, but the first challenge I think hit us with the organ donation. Mm-hmm. Um, we suggested that to them, which I guess is unusual. They, they acted like they'd never had a family, I guess of an infant suggest that before. Um, but he was so small and because infants don't ever go through brain death, the chance was slim, but we wanted to try anyway. And it was heartbreaking to find out that they couldn't use his organs because mm. too many other doctors were scared of what would happen. And, and so that was a challenge in and of itself. And then knowing that we had to pick a time to take him off life support, mm. no parent should have ever have to decide right. the time that their child should die. Mm -hmm. And that was very testing of my faith because I thought, you know what, God, if this is going to happen, why don't you take care of it? Mm -hmm. Why do I have to be the one to take care of it? Um, But we made the decision and thankfully, um, I say thankfully, God allowed that to happen in its own time before the time we had set. Mm -hmm. And so that, Another one of those blessings, you don't think of it as a blessing, but to not have to say, okay, pull the plug is a blessing. Right. Um, right. And, and that was, that was the beginning of when I, I think I finally started to say, okay, God, I know this is not what I want, but I can see already that you're going to take care of this. So the roller coaster began. As we've been talking, I am reminded of a song that I want to play for our listeners today. Here is I Will Trust in You by my friends New Fire. I've trusted in things that promise more than they could give and I Try to be strong enough to face the fear in me, but all along you were here, and you're still here. So when I don't understand. I will trust in you, I will trust in you, when my world is growing dark, and I can't see where you are, I will trust in you, I will trust in you.
I wish we had time to just read off all the blessings that we put down in the the journal that we had, the things that we saw God working, and and it was through that when um, after the funeral and on mother, it was actually Mother's Day was the day after the funeral, and so that in itself also adds mm. stuff to it. But uh, we were sitting in our new house while it's still being worked on, and. We uh, we decided to write this stuff down, and and it it just if we didn't have that, I don't know that we would have been able to have um, relied on God and trusted mm-hmm. that you know a number of times we said we're gonna we're gonna make it because there's too much going on well, here. Page after page after page mm-hmm. of different things. For instance, he smiled at me that day. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I felt like I just that. couldn't put him down, and. So I was holding him a lot that day, especially after Brett left, and he smiled at me. Uh, just the fact that I remember things that happened that day. I'm a new mom with a two-and-a-half-year-old and a, a three-week-old, <laughs> and I remember everything that happened that day. We have a picture of Brett kissing Chaz goodbye that day before he left with Grandma. That is huge. We mm-hmm. have a picture of the last time they ever saw each other. Um, the fact that the organ donation um, nurse was a good friend of Nate's from college. Huge. Brett made went and made a stuffed animal of a horse at Crown Center so that we could put it in Chaz's crib before he died. And while we were doing that, Chaz's doctor was giving him a handmade quilt mm-hmm. with cowboys and horses on it. So, I mean, there were just all kinds of things mm-hmm. that were 
most people wouldn't recognize, but I knew I didn't want to forget because I knew eventually I would need that journal to keep me going. Yeah. And so we did, and it was hard, but we just sat out there and we didn't even have, there were no windows in the house. We're sitting on subfloor. I mean, (laughs) we just, yeah, we had to, we had to go to a place that was, I think, not so full of memories. Mm -hmm. And so we just wrote and wrote and wrote, and we continued to write in that journal Mm -hmm. for probably the first year just to write everything down. And it, it really we call it a blessings journal, and that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So for people that are going through an incredibly tough experience like that, how important is it that they take the time to write stuff like that down? Oh, I, absolutely. I, it's a must. Mm-hmm. It was a must for me. Um, I firmly believe that God gave me the forethought to do that because that is not me. I am not a journaler. I used to be because I made myself, but it wasn't something that I did because I thought I'd need it. I cannot imagine what it would be like to not have that because I will still, even almost five years later, go down and read that journal and be like, Oh, I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. Yes. He was with me. I can see where things were going. And it was, it was good for us even then on mother's day to be able to look back to when he was born and the things that happened and the timing of everything to say, okay, God was preparing us the whole entire time. We would never have known it. Mm-hmm. But it was very, very obvious to us. The we've had a number of opportunities to talk to people and help people who have lost um, children um, over the last four and a half, five years. And one of the things that Maria will generally always tell them is journal things, mm-hmm. uh, get the things written down because it's going to. While you're in that state of shock, and you're actually that state of shock helps you to see things and kind of get through things and you can get that stuff written down before you go into some of those other areas or times where your mind goes to mush and you start forgetting things. And so you don't have to try to remember that, that information that you want to remember because it's on paper and it just allows your mind to be free to do whatever it needs to do Mm -hmm. um, later on. Yeah. And something that I think is important that you said is you said, you know, here we are five years later and I still read that journal. Tell our folks, um, how grief lasts, because I think that a lot of us, uh, maybe uh, we've all probably dealt with somebody in our life that's died. It's usually not as a traumatic ex- experience. It's, you know, a grandma or grandpa, great grandma, grandpa, that's at the end of life. They've lived a long life. We kind of expect that they're going to die. And yes, we grieve, but it's not like that. It's it's so much closer. It's so unexpected. It's something you never think that you're going to go through that's going to happen to you. And so we, I think a lot of times we expect that people are going to deal with grief the same way that we've dealt with grief in the past and, and that people are just going to, you know, pretty soon it's going to be okay and you're going to get over it. We're five years out and you're still dealing with that at some level. Obviously, it's not the same level as right. the first year, but... Tell us about how that lasts. Well, can I jump in here real quick? First of all, we want I mean, we we want people to realize everyone grieves differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no set plan. I mean, there's kind of phases you go through, but even between us, we were so different in in that process. And so now I'll let Maria go. I just want to make sure <laughs> there, we don't we don't feel like we're know it alls on on this exact right. thing. But uh, we have our experience. 
uh, and we realize others have differently, but this is ours. I guess. Um, it's very, it's very interesting um, because losing a child is so abnormal. It's out of order. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to happen. You plan your own funeral, <laughs> which is not supposed to happen until you're older. But um, we went to a support group and they said, you will continue to go through these stages and continue to be in a fog for about three years. And it was about three and a half years before I finally came out of the fog. Um, and even sitting in the support group, there were things that these women said they did. And I was like, Oh, I would never do that. And I didn't, but I did things that they would never do. Mm -hmm. Like they never, they would like blessings journal, whatever. And I'm like, (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, so it, it's different for everybody. And it does change. Um, it's, you know, it goes from extremely intense and then you'll have a day where you don't cry. And then there'll be a couple days where you don't cry. And I still think about him every single day, mm-hmm. but it doesn't just knock me off my feet like it used to. And not to say it doesn't still knock me off my feet because it does. Mm-hmm. I still have those moments where, um, I cry until my body aches and I have no more tears, but it's not without relief at the end Mm -hmm. because I can see where it's going. And the further we get out from losing Chaz, the, I think you get used to dealing with it. You have more joys that come along in life. You know, you can start living again after you get out of that fog, but those first three years are horrible. They really are. Thank you for joining us today on the RSM podcast. We hope you'll be back with us next time when we interview some more exciting guests. And as our director, Brother Tom Weaver, would say, may God pour out his blessings on you like a Mississippi rain.